Hey everybody, Jeff here. I just wanted to go ahead and record a little opening for this interview. This is an interview that I did back in November, shortly, I think after we got back from vacation and all that good stuff. And because of all the catch up from that time frame, plus throw some holidays in there, all that good stuff, I'm finally getting around to trying to catch up on some of my editing. And the first thing out of the gate was this interview. And the reason for that is because it has relaunched and is on Kickstarter right now. The project is called Brains. That's B-R-A-I-I-I-I-N-S. That's right. Four eyes. If you're uh, searching for it on Kickstarter, of course, you can always always hit the show notes and I'll have the link for that project as well. And you can go straight over to it. But Brains from Fire Squadron is on Kickstarter right now. It already has relaunched and it is going until January 2nd, 2015. Now it's uh, early morning, January 2nd. So uh, don't get caught sleeping. Uh, let's let's just call it January 1st. It's going until January 1st because I believe uh, by my time zone, it's going until like 9 a.m. So depending on where you are, uh, you sleep in late, you could miss it if you try to hit it on January 2nd. But early morning, January 2nd, 2015, definitely go check it out. Check out this interview. This was an awesome conversation that we had. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed getting back in the interview saddle. And hey, guess what? Uh, once I'm done with this one, I've got more I need to edit. So uh, we will be bringing you more interviews. So check it out. Welcome to the Game of Crowdfunding Interview Edition, recorded Wednesday, November 5th, 2014. That's right. It's been a little while. I've been on vacation, like I said before, and we had to take some time off in October, so we didn't do a lot of interviews, but we are back and ready to go. Who is joining me on Google Hangouts tonight? Hi, everyone. My name is Andrew Dunay, and I am the primary game designer at Fire Squadron, LLC. And I'm Tracy Constantine. I am the artist for Fire Squadron. What? Not only do I come back with an interview, I give you guys two guests for the price of one. So uh, we're going to have a little bit of fun here. We're going to learn more about Fire Squad Studios, and we're going to talk about the uh, campaign that they're going to be relaunching here soon for Brains. And... If that sounds familiar at all, I, I believe that was a draft pick at one time. <laughs> I believe it was actually, yeah. <laughs> I let you down. <laughs> it's all right. So it sounds like you guys are going to potentially give me another uh, another shot at it. All right, guys. Like I warned you before we started, I've got a few warm-up questions, and then we're just going to have a conversation. So Sweet. the warm-up questions uh, are, are super, super serious. They're incredibly hard. And uh, it's a pass-fail. So uh, are you ready? Ready. We studied. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So the Game of Crowdfunding stuff is part of the All Us Geeks. It's a standalone segment that we like to do for All Us Geeks. So the uh, first question we always like to ask is, what makes you a geek? 
And why don't we just go ahead and go with our, our standard lineup. Andrew, how about you answer first and then we'll, we'll ask Tracy. Oh man, so many different things, I suppose. You know, just from liking sci-fi for my entire life. I didn't grow up so much a Trekkie. Tracy is more handling that end of things. But you know, just liking all the different Star Wars movies and gaming in general, be it video games or board games, card games. I've always grown up just liking those sorts of things and being 32 and still playing video games, collecting collectibles that, you know, parents call them toys and whatever, but you know, <laughs> still having all that kind of stuff. And just being a collector and a gamer and loving it. All right. I guess in the same way, I, I grew up watching Star Trek with my dad, uh, the original series, and Star Wars as a kid was a huge thing for me. So growing up into that, and then the transition to comic books, and that's kind of how I got my the artistic style I do now is from just reading comics growing up, and that never kind of left. So <laughs> yeah. One of the other questions that we also like to ask is because we like to tout the fact that you can actually geek out about anything as long as you have the passion for it. So do you guys have any geek level passions for something that the normal person uh, on the street would not consider geek related? <laughs> hmm. That's actually a really good question. <laughs> I, I, Tracy, do you have anything? Because I can't think of anything right now that I'm that passionate about. I, actually, you know what? Except for game designing. As, <laughs> as odd as that sounds, and I know that's kind of what we're here to talk about, for my whole life, I've always kind of made up games, be it traveling on uh, road trips with my parents or at work. That's where a lot of these games actually come from that I've made so far with Fire Squadron. It's just sort of always creating games in my head. Simple ones, complex ones, just always sort of tweaking them and working them and, and making them fun to play, at least for myself. And now I'm trying to do it for other people. So that's kind of been my passion for a really long time. So is the question, what are we geeky about that's not considered geeky? Because, man, all my geek stuff is super considered geeky. <laughs> yeah, well, I, like, for example, one of our big examples that we always kind of tout are, you know, there are some people and I know some people that are so over the top obsessed with, say, like fantasy football that really, if you slipped them a and d character, it almost would be sounding like they're talking about the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I guess for me, uh, it is still geeky. Like, my day job is uh, data security, so, like, hacking and all that stuff, I love it. I can't get it but <laughs> That is super geeky. <laughs> you know, and feel free to be comfortable. You're in a safe safe zone, guys. Uh, we, we, we allow you to say, you know what, I'm 100% geek. We, and that, that has actually been an answer before. But, you know, some things like uh, some people are really passionate about music and and, you know, various things like that. And it's just one of those questions that we like to ask and explore every once in a while because there are so many things that just, it really depends on your passion level if you're a geek o over it or not. Nah, I guess my uh, board <laughs> games, video games, comic books, computers, man, I'm super geek. <laughs> It's all right. Like I said, is it, the, you're on All Us Geeks podcast. So I think, I think you're fine with that answer. <laughs> I married a non-geek. So I guess that's, that's something I'm passionate about. <laughs> there you go. Non-geek why? There you go. Get, get some points in while you can, sir. Just, just remember if you ever get in trouble, you can, you can play back this podcast. Well, she came in today and handed me two PS4 games. So she's <laughs> <laughs> the best <laughs> All right. And so I guess I would 
opposite. I'm dating a pure geek, so you know, it's like I can't get away from it. <laughs> I'm dating a geek of her own caliber. She has her own geek, but she's not a she's not really a gamer very much. Although I, at some point, I keep telling her that there's there's got to be a cutoff line where I can stop calling her the casual gamer because she actually does help with a lot of like the videos and stuff when people want a casual game perspective. And she has her own like small following. Like there are people that will get a hold of me and say, "Can you try to play this with Megan?" <laughs> <laughs> But she's very uh, Harry Potter, Star Wars, all that kind of stuff. So right. she geeks out in her own way. Disney, anything Disney. Like we just got back from Orlando and that was like a heaven thing for her. <laughs> okay, that's something I geek out about too. I go to Disneyland like once a month. So <laughs> nice. that is something I geek out about. <laughs> okay, so the last warm-up question that I usually ask is besides making games, unless that is it, what else do you guys do for a living? And again, you can be as generic or specific as you want to be, but we just like to kind of get an idea for people's professions that are also doing game design. Well, I spent the last 10 years working as a retail manager. I'm out of that now, and I'm looking at going back to school to get into programming uh, in Java. So that's what I've been doing, but retail is only so much fun for so long. <laughs> So I'm looking to do something more in computers while doing the game designing on the side. I mentioned before I uh, I do data security for a major healthcare company in Northern California. Andrew, you're not uh, yet in IT, but you're moving towards that. So the two big answers for people that game design are IT, programming, something like that, or school. And I've had, I think, two people that actually combine the two that have been on. So we, we've got this running joke on the uh, podcast here. Every time I ask that, I, I need to put another tally on the chalkboard for when those two answers come up. And it's actually like ultra surprising when somebody says something else like, yeah, I, you know, fix a cars all day or something, you know, <laughs> right. Professional football player. <laughs> yeah. Professional. I, I, was, I was a professional football player for a while. Now I designed games. Yeah. It's like, what? No, you, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta code something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm in IT as well, so. <laughs> okay, so you fit. Yeah, I, I, I'm right there with you. Me, myself and my co-host are both in IT, so. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see, where should we start with this? Um, how about, I always like to say, all of us that play a bunch of games, there's, there's two big things that almost everybody at some point kind of puts in their head, right? And it's, I can run a game store, or I should run a game store. And I can design a game. Uh, I should design a game. And that doesn't always come true. One, not everybody should ever, especially Andrew, you know this coming out of retail. Game store is still retail. So right. a lot of people don't understand that there's a retail aspect to running a game store. And the same kind of on the game design side. I mean, a lot of people can do it casually. But what I'd like to know is, can you guys look at or pinpoint a time in your life when you made that? decision to kind of transition from I play games casually to maybe I want to mess around and, you know, make my own world in D and D or whatever. And that, uh, and make that kind of leap over the wall to, I want to possibly be on the business side of gaming. Yeah, actually, I don't know, Tracy it was about what, three, four years ago now. It seems like yesterday. Um, that so well, that we kind of came up with, um, Tracy and I would meet once a week and we would play, I don't know if we can say business names, but a very big tabletop game with space marines, let's say. <laughs> and we ended up finding that we kind of didn't like how the rules worked. 
And we thought it'd be cool to have this huge online campaign. So we kind of started off by basically um, adjusting intellectual property rights. And uh, <laughs> after we had this whole big campaign put together, talking to people in the industry, he said, yeah, their lawyers are going to be on you in about 10 seconds after you put that thing online. So he said, well, OK, so then why don't we just do our own thing? And then you don't have to worry about lawyers. So it was at that time that that kind of really got us started. You know, and then even before that, like I said earlier, I've been designing just even little games in my head just for fun. But that was really the first time that I put things down on paper and created like a 100 page rule book with, with different rules and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And I've been kind of drawing comics for a couple of big game companies for a while. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember Rackham Entertainment. They did AT43 and Confrontation. Mm-hmm. Yep. I did the uh, official comics for them for a while. I did the comics in the back of the Warhammer. Or no, I'm sorry, not Warhammer. War Machine <laughs> yeah. magazines. The uh, drawn and quartered comics for a couple of years. So I knew a bunch of people who were in the industry. So I had a lot of brains I could pick. Like uh, Matt Wilson and Jean Bay. I still talk to them about stuff all the time. Was that also about the time then it, that Fire Squadron kind of started to form? Well, Andy showed me some things that he was doing, and I was like, yeah, it's really kind of cool, but how about we do this? And it kind of just transformed. We had a humongous game at, at the beginning, and it kind of just broke out to, I don't think we can do that. So we started thinking of what we could do that was smaller. So that's kind of how Black Market Warehouse came about which was our first game of Kickstarter. So, but even kind of going back a little bit from there, I mean, it, you guys kind of doing this big campaign, is that where Fire Squadron as a, you know, company entity kind of came together or? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And at that time, did you know you wanted it to be a company entity? Did you know that you wanted to try to publish things? Not really. I mean, <laughs> we started off, that we had this big sort of metamorphosis, I guess, where we started off with that campaign realize that didn't work. Then we said, hey, no, it'd be awesome as if we had this monthly subscription box. And that was actually our first failed Kickstarter. But we learned a lot from that because we said, hey, we're looking to go way too big, way too soon. And then that's when we decided to go just individual games and focus on one product and make sure we release something really good before going into really big things. So yeah, we we didn't really know what we were looking at at the beginning, but where we are now is definitely not where we thought we would be when we first started doing this. Okay. So this big kind of grandiose thing that you were, you know, the on the, uh, the campaign and all that stuff. How did you get from there to black market warehouse uh, and, and something that you, that you've put on Kickstarter and, and had a successful run with? What I believe is, is that that campaign that we were working on after putting so much work into it, it was almost like breaking the wall down. Right. <laughs> and it allowed me to kind of engage my brain and say, hey, if I can do this, then we can do other things as well. And after getting through that and make and not having that be successful, kind of shaking off the bummers, right? <laughs> and Black at Market Warehouse was like this huge tower defense game sort of thing that I'd been working on for a year and bringing that to Tracy and him and I just looking at it and scaling it down. So yeah, it was sort of just like breaking through a barrier that was sort of holding us back from doing more things. So, okay. Really that's how tried, I it. We tried too much to do too much too fast. And I think that's probably the first lesson that we learned is to go smaller increments to kind of get what we want. We didn't have a name. Nobody knew who we were. So, yeah. uh, if you can see it, you, I think you can still see our first campaign on Kickstarter. If you click our, what we created, we were asking for like $300,000, which isn't unheard of on Kickstarter, but it is for someone who's doing their first campaign, I think. Even not a first campaign. That's, that's still, 
that's a high level of achievability depending on yeah. what the product is if unless it's you know miniature bound and you guys have i mean you said it's your first lesson but it's it's a lesson i think that a lot of people including myself including uh some other indie game designers that i know like uh you know jason glover from gray gnome games he does really well on kickstarter and that's that's one of his counsels as well i know is you know we we're always telling people do you have anything smaller you can start with? Do you have anything that maybe, maybe you look for 5000 or $3,000 for your first time out and put this one in the, in the back pocket and start doing those smaller things. So that is definitely something that I think a lot of people have hopefully started to learn up front. Uh, I think some people still haven't, unfortunately, but I think that's a lot of advice that I think at the time when you guys were doing, like not, not a lot of people were giving that kind of advice. A lot of people were just seeing, well, when you guys did that and that was, that was what? Well, that was still in 2014. So that wasn't yeah, that, that was the beginning of 2014. Yeah. So, I mean, there was still, uh, a lot of people giving it, uh, that kind of advice maybe back then, but maybe not as vocally because as I say, even earlier in like 2013, 2012, especially seeing all these projects, it was just, let's do it. We can make this happen. And it's evolved so much now to the point where you can't just, you know, one of the things I always like to say is, you know, back when campaigns like Kickstarter first kind of started taking off, people could like do a video with, here's a napkin drawing of my idea. <laughs> And they would potentially fund. Right. <laughs> Nobody can get away with that today. <laughs> Those kind of things just are not possible anymore. Well, the good, good thing about what we did though is, is we wanted to have, we, like Andy said, we were going to do 12 months, a uh, campaign of a game mm-hmm. and we had six games in the, bo- in the bag. And when we failed in the first one, I think we only ran it for like what, a, a week, maybe three or four days till we realized, Oh crap, this isn't going to go our way. So we just canceled it. We thought let's start over and then. We realize now we're looking at six complete games that we really like that we think are really good. So let's just do those one by one. So yep. that's kind of how we got back to basics and got back nice. where we're supposed to be. But and it it sounds like you guys figured it out fairly quickly, which is is nice, and and we're able to regroup quickly, which is nice because sometimes that you know for some people that can just be like, oh, I I did this and and obviously it's not going to work, so I'm just going to go away. Where you know I always tell people it's it's not. It's not a bad thing to have an unsuccessful or a canceled project if you learn from the process and if you, uh, especially if you're relaunching the same thing, if you make sure you let your previous backers and people that know of your previous campaign aware of, yes, we've learned something and this is why this is different this time around. Right, right, Right. exactly. We have that lesson a lot with brains too. So going into the next round, is going to be a lot different than what we did last time too. So, and I want to talk about that stuff, but before we get there, <laughs> oh, <okay>. sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. I am always curious, and it sounds like you guys have been kind of working together for quite a while. So is there a kind of set design process that you guys use that you're comfortable with now, or is it really dependent upon the game? Really, the way that it works is I'll come up with an idea or Trace will come up with an idea and then I'll just kind of mull over it for a while. Brains, as an example, took me a day to write and about two months to fix. <laughs> so <laughs> it was it was a real mess when it first came out. Um, so that was me just writing everything down that I thought of right away and trying to make a game out of that. So really what it is that I do is, is I'll think about a game for a month or two and I'll continually take notes and start piecing things together after I really have it 
working well in my head. So that's pretty much the design process. But it, there's nothing really set in stone. It's kind of all up in the air. And normally when Tracy and I meet up, we'll discuss how things are going and what my ideas are. And, and he'll interject and, and adjust things as uh, as he can think of some stuff. And then once a game is is built up, we have a core group of friends. It's about, what, six guys who yeah, are made up of, yeah, they're made up of hardcore gamers, casual gamers, and people who don't game at all. And we get those people together and see how they they like the game. And we take their input and run from there to make sure that we're creating something that pretty much anyone can play. So how about blind play testing? Does that come in for you guys at all? We haven't done that yet. Um, we did actually run a Kickstarter campaign just handing out print and play copies of our game. So, and we told any of our backers, Hey, let us know what you think. If there's anything we need to adjust or anything that, that we need to change. So that when we release the hard copies of the game, let us know. So we did kind of do blind testing that way, but uh, we haven't had anything set in stone yet. Okay. We got some good feedback from those, from some of the people who played too. So we want to make sure that our rules are always fluid and able to be changed uh, based on input from anybody. We call it fire tested. It sounds catchy, but we really <laughs> want um, our games to be able to, to adapt to who's playing them. Like when we did a black market warehouse, all of our cards used to be worth points, like a point system, like five points, four points. And someone made the suggestion, why don't you make it worth money? Since this is black market warehouse, that would make more sense. So we agreed. So before the game came out, we had changed it to money. So things like that, we're always willing to take feedback and we know we probably don't have it right the first time. Yeah, and that's kind of going back to the earlier point with us adjusting to lessons. That was the big thing that Tracy and I wanted to stress to any of our customers or backers or people in our community is that we don't want to be those snobby comic book guy game designers, right? Mm -hmm. This is my game and this is how it's going to be. It's really, we, we want to be open it to everybody's suggestions and we want the community to really enjoy playing our games. Yeah, I created it. Tracy drew it um, and he helped create it as well. But you guys are going to ultimately be the ones playing it. And if there's something you don't like, I'm not going to tell you that it can't change. So that's really, really big for us is that we want to learn even from the mistakes that we make in our own games. So there's broken rules or broken cards. We just fix it. Okay. Uh, the internet is very nice for that. You know, you can make <laughs> things happen instantly. Now I've got like two dueling questions in my head. So I'm going to go with, we always talk about being open to f feedback, but making sure it's filtered feedback. So what do you guys use kind of maybe as your litmus test for, is this feedback that actually needs to be implemented? Normally we'll actually pose, well, first Tracy and I will kind of filter it ourselves. And sometimes you do get suggestions that, either aren't possible or completely changes the game altogether. Mm -hmm. Now you can't change that, right? Cause you, that would be making an entirely new game. But if it's uh, rules issues, we'll take those and just pose them to the community. And if the community says, yeah, that actually sounds like a really interesting rule change. We'll go ahead and make that change. The other thing that we really like are house rules. Jeff, I'm sure you have a bunch of games that you play with your friends and, and girlfriend, and you guys have your own house rules for, for those games. Trace and I have tons of house rules for the games that we play. So we kind of encourage people to create house rules. And then what Trace and I are going to do is, is create a house rules form, essentially. So we have the rules that we present, and we really leave it up to the community to decide if they're rules that they, they want to implement into the game or not. Okay. I know I don't house rule. You don't house rule, okay? No, no, no. <laughs> not usually. I mean, unless you know, obviously the difference would be like if I'm actually role playing or something, then that that's a a different thing. But 
uh, I always, yeah, I, I, I live or, or breathe usually by, I mean, I might play some variants if some variants are included in a rule book, but, uh, we usually try to go by, by the rules around here. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. I don't like the house rules either, Andy. <laughs> I, well, you know, that's cause you always beat me and I try to give myself an advantage. Oh, no, I don't. <laughs> All right. So the, the other question that I, I kind of had popped up when, uh, Tracy had mentioned rules, uh, the first time was one of the questions I, I've kind of started asking in the written interviews on the website, but I don't think I've ever really asked here is a rule set and a rule book can make or break a game sometimes. So what do you guys do to try to make sure that your rules are solid and people can play your game without the, you know, the designer in the box syndrome? You shouldn't have to include a designer in the box to play a game. So how do you guys make sure that that doesn't happen for you guys, for your games? My mom reads them. <laughs> if she can understand it, then we're good to go. <laughs> it's actually not a bad answer. That's definitely part of it. <laughs> we want our rules to be really simple because there's too many times when we've wanted to sit down for a casual night, like on a Thursday night when it's kind of late. We don't have three hours to learn a game. We want to open the box and we want to get out the rules and play. So we design our games like that to where the rules are simple. You can start playing, but as you play, you kind of realize, oh, there's some strategy involved. Oh, I have a lot of options that I can do while you're playing it. But to get into the games, it's super fast. And that's designed by pur- purpose like that. Okay. So literally, if yeah. one can figure out how to play the game, I think we win. <laughs> I, what, what I also try to do right now is keep rules on cards instead of in the rule book. Because I find that's another thing that can kind of make things a little complicated is when you're playing a game and it says, oh, this card has the ability for sneak and you're like, all right, well, what does sneak do? So you have to go back to the rule book and flip through the rule book and you find sneak and it has a two paragraph long descriptor. And, you know, so we try to avoid things like that and keep things basically on the table instead of in the rule book. You guys had your, your first Kickstarter and canceled that and kind of regrouped and came back with black market warehouse. Now, if I remember correctly, I think we talked about black market warehouse in the draft picks as well. I can't remember yep. if it was, I think it was a pick. If it wasn't a pick, it was yeah, definitely a shout us, out. Jeff. All right. There. So, okay. So you guys are 50 50 for me. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'll take it. Uh, especially, uh, how badly I lost this last time. Uh, any points I could get was amazing. <laughs> the, the black market warehouse did really well for you guys. So what I'm not sure how I want to go about this. I mean, you had the fire squadron first one. And it, it didn't go well. You guys were able to regroup, figure out something else, bring out black market warehouse. So how did it feel kind of finally getting that, that win, I guess, and, and go, you know what? We, we, we do have something that people legitimately want and are, are willing to pay us to get <laughs> for lack of a better way to phrase that right now. You know, it's the obvious answer of exciting, you know, cause it's pretty cool. You created something and people bought it. Uh, there's a little bit of the scary aspect too, you know, cause it's like, okay, so we've got this first done. Now we need to have the first of getting a game manufactured and then the first of getting a game shipped to people around the world. So that's what we're doing <laughs> right now. And um, that's that's all a learning experience. And, you know, it's going well, but there's things that we didn't know about before that we know about now. So it's it's always been a learning experience, and we're just constantly growing as a company in, in our knowledge on how to get this done so that we can continually have good campaigns going forward. Yeah, I was blown away with how well we did, especially being nobodies, really. I think that we, wow, it seems sloppy now looking at 
the way I worded things and all the drawings and stuff like that, but it worked out. So, <laughs> so you've got this, this win behind you and, and you've got to do the fulfillment and all that good stuff. It's something I'm always kind of curious about. I mean, you guys are working and publishing right now. It, it sounds like strictly your, your own designs. So on the scale of publishing is a necessary evil and I want to make sure my game gets out there. So I'm willing to do the publishing slash manufacturing, shipping, fulfillment side of things all the way to, uh, I really enjoy this and this is a, a really cool part of the business that I'm glad I get to be a part of. Where do you kind of guys fall in that scale? I personally really like doing all of this. There, it is stressful sometimes. It is a learning experience, you know, cause there's even paying taxes and all that kind of fun <laughs> stuff that you have to worry about, but it's all fun. We're learning something. And the nice thing too is, is that we're our own bosses in this. You know, so we can make our own decisions and drive the company the way that we want to go. And uh, when you work as a mid manager in retail for 10 years, that's kind of a nice feeling. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't like that part of it. <laughs> I like to give the job again. What do you say, Andy? Oh, that's, that's why I handle most of that. <laughs> yeah, and you say you love it, but I get texts sometimes at like 7 in the morning and say, what are we going to do? <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I know you like it, and that's why you do it. And I knew you have a good head for business, which is why I wanted to do this together with you. But I don't like that part. I mean, I like getting the box in the mail, like opening the my first game, like the first printed version. That was awesome. It's sitting on my desk. I haven't moved it since I opened it that, that day, but that's a great feeling. I like that part. It's one of those things I've always kind of been curious about, especially since kind of Kickstarter has blown up the small and indie publisher side of things. And I do, I get the full spectrum of, of answers. I've gotten answers from, yeah, I, I really don't want to handle that stuff. It's not my favorite part by any means, but my, this is how my game is going to get made. So I, I, it's a necessary evil. I deal with it all the way to, I've had somebody on that was like, you know, we tried to design our own game. Uh, we didn't care for it, but we really like the publishing side. So now we're just going to publish other people's games. So wow. I, I've had the full spectrum on. So I'm always curious about that, especially as, you know, again, as much as Kickstarter has blown up and blown up the, uh, you know, indie publishers and, and all that stuff and, and given people an avenue for potential career change, really, if, if everything falls in line properly. Well, I guess we're both in. He loves it. I don't. I, <laughs> so I guess we're both in. Well, I mean, to that point, it's like that is something that I would look at one day and has come into my head. It's like, I wonder if I could eventually publish other people's game under our logo. And then that to me is just kind of like, you know, a five, 10 year goal, yeah. you know, is, is to make the company that big. So that is kind of in the in the headlights down the road somewhere. Well, that's and that's usually like one of my follow up questions, too, because there are some people that are fine with the entire process, but only for their own games. <laughs> and then there are other people who are like, yeah, I, I want to help some other people along get their games out there as well. So that's usually one of my follow-ups as well. It's, it's two things that I'm always kind of curious about. And and that's what half of these questions are. It's like what's running through my head and, and what I get curious about while we're having a conversation. <laughs> so well, it, go so, tell someone that you're a game designer and everyone will tell you about the six games that they've made themselves and they want to know exactly how you did it. So there's actually, you know, there's a customer base out there, let's say, for game publishers, you know, who can direct people on how to, where to go, how to do it. Cause we basically did all the legwork ourselves. 
And that's kind of what gave me that idea. So everyone I tell when I design games, it's like, oh, I have this idea and that idea. And this. so you, you hear that all the time. May as well take advantage of it, right? <laughs> you know? Oh, we want to be part of the indie gaming scene. We want to help anyone. I and mean, we've had a flooded with questions in our emails all the time, probably at least two or three times a week from people asking us, like, where did you guys go to get your boxes printed? Like, what does it look like? And we just want to help anyone who comes to us. So because we, we kind of found it hard to find some of the information that we got. Have you guys thought about doing that in, in blog form? I have the idea, but whenever I sit down to write something, nothing comes to <laughs> mind, and then i got to get on to something else. So. Or, or a podcast, guys. There you go. <laughs> I've got I've got a network that would take you on, you know. Uh, cause I, that's that's one of the things like like uh, I mentioned Jason earlier, uh, Jason Glover from Grain on Games. That's one of the things that he's really good at, and and one of the reasons why I'm kind of proud to call him a friend above and beyond him just being a great guy is he's very open with everything he's done to build up the success that he's had, and he's always willing to help somebody else out. And he he has started kind of doing some of that blog stuff and. And, and he's always answering those kind of questions like, okay, well, here's two or three people you can get boxes from, or here's where I got this from, or here's where I got these quotes from. So I love that part of the community. It's one of the reasons why I'm where I'm at. One of the things that keeps me involved and keeps me recording is just how awesome the community is, let alone the indie community that's trying to help all of each other kind of build each other up. Cause what other industry that you're used to dealing with in, you know, quote unquote, the real world does that as much as the yeah. game design community does. It's definitely great. Like when we do Kickstarter campaigns, like on our last couple of them, there's a lot of other indie gamers that were given a shout out. So we try to do the same thing for other Kickstarter campaigns too. Any, any audience that we have that can get notice to any other indie game, we definitely are, are in for that. We like that. Like I also did a couple weeks ago, uh, an after school program where I talked to the kids about getting into gaming and what they need to do. Cause it's a, it's a gaming after school program where they design their own games. So yeah, we definitely are big on that. And it's, that's a lot of fun to do. That's awesome. <laughs> and you know, it, yeah, it was a good time. And the weird thing is like, that seems to be a thing right now. Cause I think you're like the third person that I know of that has recently like done game design type courses or something. So it's, it's, it's kind of weird how that suddenly just kind of coming out and every, everybody's trying to, again, everybody's sharing everything. Right. <laughs> it's, it's one big group hug people. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go ahead and do our focus shift here a bit. Brains was originally on Kickstarter and was unsuccessful. So you guys are, are once again kind of regrouping and going to relaunch. So before we kind of get into the nuts and bolts of how you went about that, how about one of you go ahead and give me the elevator pitch for Brains? So Brains is a uh, one to six player card game where you get to play as the zombies and you are trying to take over the town of Risington. Basically, you can summon other zombies to come help you, and that's pretty much it. You turn over living cards every turn, and you're attempting to turn the living into the undead. Nice. It's a co-op game, and also can be played as player versus player. Nice. I dig games that kind of can go both ways that that way, and and can get a a new play perspective out of it from a, a different you know. Oh, now we're gonna play co-op. Now we're gonna play versus. So that's kind that's kind of cool. First of all, again, remember you're in a safe space. So, uh, <laughs> do you guys have any concern over the 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 perceived zombie kind of bashing that's going on often? You know, there there's this 
big cry off and on of, oh, zombies are way overdone now. Stop doing zombies. I, you know, you, you hear that off and on. Uh, is that, has that been any kind of concern for you guys? Not for me necessarily. I figured that we needed to have the one obligatory zombie game, right? <laughs> I mean, every game company needs one. So I, I thought that putting the twist on it, where you get to play the zombie would be kind of cool. It is a smaller card game. I don't know how many zombie card games there are out there. And they normally have miniatures with them. I'm not too, too concerned about it. I feel that when people get to play black market warehouse and they see that in their hands, they'll, they really like Tracy's art style. And uh, the flow of the game is a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm not too worried about it either. I mean, I, I back zombie side. I'm a big fan. So I like zombies. So we're going to make games that we like. So yeah. that's kind of what we do. Well, and, and there are uh, those of us that uh, are zombie fans. So suck it, Chris Leader. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. It's, it's, an, it's an ongoing thing with me and him. He's big into trains and, and I, I like zombies. He doesn't like zombies. And I always give him crap about, oh, so we should just make another train game. <laughs> I'm a firm believer in the game. The, the, there's no, to me, there is no overdone theme. I prefer to judge the game for the game. So That's a good point. again, there are a ton of train games out there and I don't, I don't care. I mean, I, it's, it's just this little, Chris and I are, are really good friends. So it's just a back and forth that Chris and I do, but there are a ton of, of, of train games out there and there, and a lot of them are really good. Some of them I don't care for as much. There are a lot of zombie games out there. A lot of them are really good. Some of them I don't care for as much. Uh, and, and it's just to me, I, I like certain themes and I might gravitate towards cer- certain themes, but I'm willing to try a game for the game. And as a reviewer, I'm surprised all the time. There are things that have hit my table that I've flat out said, you know what? Why are, why am, why is this in front of me that I've come away and gone, you know what? This is, this is actually a really good game. So I, I know firsthand that I've been won over by things that the theme or whatever didn't appeal to me, but the game pulled me in. So I think they find that with brains too. The mechanic of it, I think is different and unique and you are playing the zombie. And most zombie games that I have in my collection are going to be. You're trying to run away from a horde. And this isn't like that at all. This is you're trying to eat the living that are running away from you. I remember when we were talking about this on the game of crowdfunding draft picks. And that was one of the things I, I believe we kind of stated. It was really nice that it was a somewhat different perspective on the, on the zombie take. That's really what we were looking for, because to your point, we understood that the zombie genre is a little heavy, but just any sort of little twist that we could put in there, we thought would make it a little bit more unique and a little more fun to play. Unfortunately, you weren't successful your first time. So from that, and you weren't terribly far off in, in the grand scheme of things. I mean, you guys got a little over 11,000. You were looking for 20,000. That's not a small feat by any means. I mean, a lot of things like this could easily have been sitting around the two, $3,000 mark by the end, right? I mean, I see a lot, a lot of projects like that all the time. So what specifically did you guys take away from having the unsuccessful campaign to get you ready to relaunch and hopefully be successful the second time? One of the one major takeaways is we, we realized that 20000 was a little too high. Not that it's not a good goal to shoot for, but it didn't really allow us to offer stretch goals. And I believe that that was one of the things that really helped with Black Market Warehouse is having those stretch goals. People were getting excited about it. They were looking forward to that that next stretch goal around the corner. So we want to kind of get back to that when we relaunch Brains again. Another thing that I learned just from reviewing metrics on Kickstarter, running a campaign from July to August is terrible. 
<laughs> so uh, not that I can fully say that that's a reason why, but it looks like your success rate in, from July to August is just not great. So we may not have picked a great time there. We also wanted this time, we realized, to have Black Market Warehouse done and shipped. That way people could really get a hand on our game and know that we were serious and not, you know, these first timers just kind of, you know, going to walk away or something like that. So that's why we really pushed for a November date. We also went up uh, head to head with Zombicide, which did uh, an amazing campaign. They just kind of blew it away. I think the people that were that have a budget of what they're going to spend on gaming that month, uh, we're probably looking at something more like that than what we were doing. Although 11,000, that was still pretty decent. But all of that was every single day trying to scramble to what can we do? What can we offer? What can we change? What can we uh, save to people to get more people interested in this? So running a campaign is like every day, all day monitoring what we're doing and, and adapting and adjusting to that. Yeah. We tend to talk off and on about how Kickstarter will, while you're running a project will take up any time you allow it to. Like it, that is a, a never ending void. I mean, if, if you don't want to sleep, Kickstarter will happily oblige you. Uh, <laughs> and, and we always try to caution uh, people to make sure they take at least a little bit of time for themselves, but it, it is pretty much like a second full-time job. Uh, while the campaign is going on. The problem for us, though, is that me being the artist, Andy will be like, hey, I have an idea. Why don't you draw 12 more cards? I'm like, oh, sure. <laughs> I'll just do that right now. <laughs> and to that Kickstarter, like sort of taking up your life point, I checked my phone, the Kickstarter page, continually for a week after the Black Market Warehouse campaign because I got in the habit of every like five minutes, okay, who's backing? <laughs> what do we need to change now? You know, what cards do I need to tell Tracy to draw now? Um, so I, I know what you're saying, where you have to sort of get yourself out of that mindset of checking Kickstarter. You need like a, a month to decompress from that. Sounds like you, there are a couple things that you definitely did that I think are, are extremely smart. One, getting black market warehouse in people's hands, because that's one of the things I always caution some people about too. I've had some people kind of approach and go, well, and, and I understand it because I, I'm a hobbyist designer. I'm doing a collab right now. So I, I understand that at times the itch to design and people that are really designers at heart and are kind of just dealing with the publishing side of it to get the game out there. Once it's kind of out of their hands, they're like, I, I need something. I need to design something. I need to do something. I need to go on to the next thing. I need something active in my life. And we always kind of caution that, you know, it, until you've established yourself, until you've got a base that knows that you, you're consistent with your projects, that you're consistent with your quality, that you're consistent with the, the games that you put out, let them be delivered first. <laughs> I understand that, right. that you're at a point where, well, it's at the printer. I can't do anything, but to your backers, they're still counting on you for something else. And it almost can kind of look like until they understand that, until they know you, well, he's just moved on to the next thing. <laughs> uh, we, we actually ran a poll on our website asking people, actually through BackerKit, asking, hey, do you want us to launch brains or do you want us to wait until we fund? And we had we decided to go with the majority rules, but that was only probably about 60-40 people saying, yeah, go ahead and launch. Yeah. So there definitely was some people saying, I don't want you to do anything until I get my copy. <laughs> Yeah. And, and again, it's there, there are a handful of people that I without hesitation say, yeah, you're, you're solid. You're good. Go ahead and launch the next one. And people are going to back it because it's you and, and you've already got this consistency behind you. But that, you know, it's 
building the community, especially if, if you're in this for a long haul, like you guys, you guys have said earlier, you got like some six plus games that you've already kind of been working on and want to eventually put out and all, all, you know, uh, all that good stuff. So you've got a, you want to build a community. You guys want the backers from black market warehouse to come and hang out with you for brains and, and then from brains to your next project. You're, you're not looking for a one-off situation. It, it doesn't sound like, so you definitely want to build that consistency and that trust in your community. Absolutely. Exactly. You know, we've kind of did the high level of, of what brains is about. When are you planning to do the relaunch? We're looking at starting November 21st. And then we'll run that through the end of December. Uh, it'll probably run a couple days into January for tax season, honestly. So it'll be about a month and a half campaign. You guys kind of talked about the July to August time frame. Do you have any concerns that you're running through the Christmas season? People have brought that up. So what I did was <laughs> I pulled up the Kickstarter metrics and they actually, the, the drop wasn't significant enough to really be concerning. Yeah, it's pretty much the same success rate for the rest of the year. It's July and August. That's really the bad time on Kickstarter <laughs> for whatever reason. <laughs> Not too concerned about that, honestly. Okay. And if, and if something happens and it doesn't do well, then we'll learn that lesson and not do another one. <laughs> one of the questions I, I like to ask, and this is for, uh, so for, for your, uh, relaunch, let's say, uh, let's say somebody's listened to this. They're curious. They, uh, at the relaunch time, they go out there and they check out the new Kickstarter campaign. They look through it and they, and they kind of go, you know, this, this might be a game for me. What are a couple things that you would tell that individual to go, you, you know what? You guys are absolutely right. I have to back brains right now. The fact that it, it's made for solo to six players is we like doing that so that you have a flexibility of how many people you can play with, even if you just want to play with yourself. It's zombie themed. So if you like zombies, that's definitely a positive to it. Uh, Trace and I are also really committed to it. So if you do have any concerns or questions about the game, we're more than willing to answer them. We're shooting back personal emails to people all the time um, and always listening to feedback and questions. It's, it's also a lot of fun. You get to play as a zombie and uh, you get to eat people from Risington. And uh, if you pledge certain levels, you could even make yourself one of the citizens. Or a zombie, if you want. So that could be a bonus for you as well. And then what are some of the things that you're doing different with this campaign versus the last one? Definitely going with a smaller funding goal. We're thinking more in the $10,000 range this time instead of 20 and offering our backers more um, stretch goals. So more alternate art. Uh, sorry, Tracy. Uh, <laughs> probably adding in another expansion or two. Uh, we offered an expansion the first time. But we have other ideas for other expansions. So based on those stretch goals, we may throw in some different expansions as well. That's another thing we try to do is make the games expandable for eternity so that we can come up with new ideas that people may come up with or that I get to come up with. And let's say, uh, you know, Brains blows up, does very well, and you guys are on to the next project. Uh, what does the future look like for Fire Squadron here? Battlefield. Well, Battlefish, yeah. It's kind of a, a hardcore version of Go Fish is the, the worst way I could describe it. But, um, <laughs> what, what do you think? What I'm in. <laughs> yeah, see? It, Go Fish had some influence on it, but I kind of made some crazy rules for it. Tracy drew some awesome looking fish 
they're really cool looking. Um, I don't know if we have some up on our website, but well, those we, are really the last neat. campaign had it on there. We in our print and play campaign. Uh, oh, that's right. On there. <laughs> and then uh, that's another card game, but we would like to get into the miniature game. So I'm currently working on that. That's kind of in its super early stages of design where we're kind of making a goofy, fun, historical miniature game. So we're getting kind of down to our time here. Before we wrap up, is there anything that you want to make sure that we've covered or any other lessons that you wanted to share? No, just stress the point that we're always open for people's input and insights. And uh, Tracy and I are pretty down to earth. So if anyone ever has any questions or needs to get a hold of us, uh, they can definitely do that. We're willing to listen. I think the biggest uh, takeaway I think we can give people who are doing their own campaign is do your research beforehand of how, what it costs to print, what it costs to ship. Incentives that you can give people on shipping is a huge thing. I think being EU friendly is very difficult, but I think that got us a lot of backers uh, from Europe. So uh, do what you can. Try to find uh, fulfillment companies who can uh, ship your product for you because there's going to be a lot of things that we have to do manually this time around, uh, which is not really going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> It'll be yeah. fun for me. Yeah, it's fun. Packing a thousand boxes and shipping them out, man, it's going to be a lot. Yeah, again, that's one of the things. Like, uh, I think almost or quite a few of the campaigns, Jason did that out of his like basement or something like that. And I think one of the last few, he finally, I, I think he finally went for, for, through fulfillment, or he did for one, and then the next one he went back to. I, I can't remember now. He, the the guy has kickstarted so many things; it's ridiculous at this point. Uh, well, there's such a balance between how much you're going to raise, what your funding goal should be, and then how much is actually going to cost for the entire thing, and it's way more it costs us way more i think than we anticipated in the first place but if you set your goal that high to fund the entire thing you probably won't make it so you need to put some risk into it with a lower goal and hope to get more money yeah see that's that's one of the things that i have a conversation with off and on too and and i i uh, always kind of dread that i mean there there's a difference between here's what we're willing to risk like here's what we're willing to put in which I, I think is what you're saying. You know, we're, we're, we're willing to put in 5,000 if we need to, but hopefully we get over and, and hit that 5,000 and we don't need to versus there are some people that have been consulted, I guess, or, or, you know, have, have been given advice to, no, you, you need to drop your fund and hope you get that. But that individual could never make that up themselves. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. When we did Black Market Warehouse, we had our funding goal 5,000 because that's kind of what we thought it was going to cost us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we ended up raising over 16 and that's about what it cost us to do the whole thing. We didn't make a single dime on it and we still haven't done our shipping yet. So we may actually end up losing money. Yeah. But I think that the funding goal of 5,000 is what made us successful because we were able to hit all the stretch goals that we wanted to. We were able to offer so much more, uh, on Kickstarter than we had initially planned. Yeah. The smaller funding goal definitely helps but you know i i always try to kind of caution that whole you know the if 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 you hit if you only hit that 5000 in the, in a generic sense not specifically you guys but if you only hit that 5000 can you do that or are you going you know you, you never want to go back and say guys sorry i can't do it because this cost me an extra 5000 that i didn't have uh, right. You know, exactly. That kind of thing. Well, that's why brains was twenty thousand because we kind of figured, okay, twenty thousand dollars is going to be able to print and fulfill and ship all of this that we're trying to do, and that's a good comfortable spot for us to be at. But again, we didn't fund because our goal was too high. Right. So I think 
the next time when we hit 10,000, it's going to definitely cost us more than $10,000 to print and ship the game. So we'll see how that one goes. Yeah. And I, I'm a big advocate on the whole, that's one of the things I, I, I do agree with the idea of, uh, starting with smaller projects and building up your foundation before you start asking for the, the larger money. But I also am a, a, a big advocate for, People need to ask for what can get the game made and, and made successfully. And the, the backing community needs to stop doing this. Oh, well, you know, somebody else did it for this. Cause one, all, not all games are the same and, and not everything's, uh, you know, a- apples to apples in that aspect. But, you know, the, the other person may have had more capital to risk. That's uh, true. Right. That's true. You, you know, so let's stop potentially judging projects by, uh, their funding, unless it is like super outrageous, like, you know, nobody in the world, like, you know, here I'm giving you a, you know, 16 card deck and I need a hundred thousand dollars. Um, right. okay. There's, there's somebody hasn't done some research there, <laughs> <laughs> right. you know, but it, if, if it seems like a legitimate thing and the game is solid, let's stop trying to judge it on, well, the other guy did this and, and I'm a huge advocate of that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Everything's different and yeah. The brains, I hope that goes better. I mean, yes. we want to, we want to be able to raise enough to print it and all that. But if we don't, if we raise money from people and we take the money, we're going to print the game. We're not going to say, Oh, sorry guys, we're not going to be able to do this. So these games will get printed if they get funded. Yep. All right. So now I'm going to do this and you guys feel free to correct me if I screw anything up here. <laughs> ready? Brains from Fire Squadron will be back on Kickstarter. November 21st, uh, running for a little over a month, month and a half-ish. Uh, definitely look for it. And again, I believe I pointed this out when I picked it as a draft pick. Brains! Four eyes, people. Four eyes. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so, uh, if you're searching for it, don't just type in, you know, their normal spelling of brains when November 21st comes around. Uh, it's four eyes. And uh, you should be able to find it or, again, search for Fire Squadron. And, again, November 21st, go check it out. We're talking about a, a game that is uh, can be played solo, up to six players. Uh, you play as the zombies trying to take out the living, which is a little bit of a nice twist. We've got some co-op. We've got some competitive. A whole bunch of nice little things going on there. And uh, go give this game some love when it comes out. All right, Andrew, Tracy, thank you very much for hanging out with me tonight, guys. Well, thanks for having us. This was fun. Thanks for having us, Jeff. Yeah, no problem. This was a lot of fun. This is a good way to get back into uh, me me getting my interview wings back, I guess. <laughs> All right. So, everybody, uh, again, thanks for hanging out with us as well. We appreciate you listening and, and checking out what's going on with Fire Squadron and uh, some of the lessons they've learned and some of the games they have that they've already done, that they're going to do now, and that they're going to do in the future. And, of course, as always, I will be back with more interviews soon. And we are doing quite a few written interviews on the allusgeeks.com website. So go check those out as well. Lots of great game designers over there uh, giving us feedback as well and, and letting us know about things that they have on Kickstarter. So uh, I will be back soon, as always. Thanks for listening. <laughs>